Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to the Van Ultra Podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth Kirk. And I'm Elijah Evans. And yo, man, we have a very, very special guest on today. We have someone... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, I... This is is something really special to me because, like, one thing about me is I listen to a lot of podcasts. Mm -hmm. And our um, guest today is one of... Hosts one of the podcasts that I listen to um, often. And uh, I'm really excited to have him on and to talk to him. And, um, yeah, let our let our guest introduce himself. Hey, what's up? I'm Jeremy Kirkland. Uh, I host a podcast called Blamo, and um, I do a couple other things. And, yeah, uh, that's me. How you guys doing? Yeah, doing Good. great, doing, doing great. great. Um, I know you're, you're coming in from the Midwest, correct? Where are you coming from exactly? St. Louis, Missouri. St. Yeah. Louis, Missouri. Wow. Yeah, I've never been. I've always wanted really? to Missouri, though, St. Louis. Yeah, yeah. We're not missing anything. No, I, 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 um, I have some family like in Detroit, and so like I'm on like this big Midwest kick right now, and I feel like I don't know. I think they're coming. I, the, the Midwest is coming back, dude. <laughs> it's coming back. I think so. Yes. I, I mean, so. yeah. I would say I'm here. It, it. I moved back here from New York in 2020, and mm. I. It was kind of like I wasn't into moving back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, obviously there's all sorts of things going on, family health or whatever. And, um, then I was like, man, this place sucks. And I came back <laughs> here and I was like, St. Louis sucks. But I mean, I grew up here. Uh, my wife's family is also here. Um, and it is kind of weird to move back to a place that you grew up at, that you left when you were really young. Like well, I'm, I moved away, I moved to New York when I was 18. So oh, wow, like, wow. yeah. So like even initially, we would go out or someone would be like, hey, we should go to this restaurant or whatever. And I'd be like, oh, well, that's a 21 and over place, you know, yeah, and I'm yeah. like 38 years old, right? And I'm just like, right. oh, wait, yeah, it's cool. I can go there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I don't have to worry about that, you know, because yeah. in, in some ways I'm still like a teenage clown. I just have kids and stuff now living here. But I will say I get to stay here long enough to get annoyed with it in the sense that you want to be in a place that's a little bit more... Um, not like, not that like there's no culture here. There's definitely a ton of culture. St. Louis is an incredible city. It is amazing. There's all sorts of great food. There's, you know, good cost of living, et cetera. But like you miss New York, you miss hearing like five languages when you walk out the street and stuff. So, um, so I go back to New York like once a month for whatever work and stuff like that. And so it's kind of nice. You get the best of both worlds because you'll feel like, man, I want to go to that restaurant everyone's going to right now. And then you'll go to the restaurant in New York and you're like, man, this place sucks. What was I doing? And then you go back to St. Louis and you're like, heck yeah, I got my target and it's all nice. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and the cycle, yeah, the cycle uh, continues. So anyway, thanks for having me on. Of course, of course. So the way we like to do our podcast is we like to, you know, I mentioned I'm a fan and I listen to you interview people all the time on your podcast. But so we just wanted to like, you know, get to know Jeremy a little bit, you know. So you mentioned that you grew up in St. Louis until you were 18. What was like growing up in St. Louis like? Oh, it's cool. I mean, I don't know. I would say it's funny in hindsight when you meet other people and, you know, and, and everyone kind of accidentally or purposely shares their story. Sometimes you think like you were the only kid that grew up X, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, we grew up relatively, um, I never knew hunger, but I would say we weren't like affluent at all in any way. You know, like there are people that I knew that really did grow up, you know, air quote sort of poor and they didn't have, they didn't know where meals and stuff were coming from. You know, I grew up in like, you know, my dad worked uh, for a church. Uh, he was a musician for a long time before that, you know, played around, toured in some bands I grew up in like the Ferguson Florissant area, which, you know, 
more people know about now due to the tragedies and stuff that have occurred there. But like, I was there. Then we moved. Uh, I I lived in an area called North County. Like it was St. Louis. Basically, they just size you up on like where you went to high school and what county you're in. So like, mm-hmm. there's North, South, and West County. East County doesn't really. That's basically you know Illinois, right? Or East St. Louis. And um, I mean the the you know it was it was fine. It is kind of weird because in hindsight, you know the the my elementary school uh, is now like a nuclear waste dump. No, oh, not geez. even kidding. Wow. Like, yeah, yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of like goofy stories, but more or less, uh, Coldwater Creek area in St. Louis was a place where they stored a lot of uh, nuclear waste in the forties. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, you know, it's kind of bubbling up right now. So there's <laughs> yeah. stuff like that. And then you meet other friends cause you're like, man, I had a really hard life. You're like, man, my life was hard. And you're like, boohoo, you weren't a boy scout. And you meet other people who are like, yeah, I came in, I was immigrated. We were hiding in this and this. And you're like, oh shit, I had a pretty <laughs> yeah. life. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I mean, I think when I was younger, I thought that I might've grown up a little bit like tougher for the mm-hmm. end. The more I've gotten to know people, you're like, man, I grew up in America. I got a relatively cushy life. Um, yeah. But, I mean, you know, it was fine. Um, I mean, I grew up like a very, like, over-churched kid. Like, my social life was going to church. So you'd go to church on Wednesday nights. You'd go to church on Saturday nights to set up the church for the Sunday morning. Right. Then you'd be there all day Sunday into the late afternoon. And if you were good... You got McDonald's on the way. <laughs> <Yeah, yeah, yeah. laughs> so, what was the order? Ooh, yeah. Oh, so I was a I was a number two man. I was a classic two cheeseburger kid. Ooh, um, okay. Yeah, I mean, I think I was definitely a chubby kid when I was little. So I oh, no, bro. Oh yeah, I have. I mean, still to this day, I have horrendous, horrible body image issues. Horrible stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I would, you know, I remember. At one point, like, I, I started to, like, get side jobs and stuff when I was a little kid, into which, like, I wanted to get, like, a like a Sony PlayStation or certain clothes or whatever. My parents were like, well, we don't have that money. Like, if you right. want to do it, you got to go find a job. Or you got to. And I was, like, you know, 12. And I'd be like, yeah. well, fuck it. Like, I'm going to go snow shovel right. around the yeah. neighborhood. Exactly. And I'd be like, check it out. Your boy's got cash. Mm-hmm. I'm Let's let's go. I'm, yeah. let's, let's order pizza tonight. You know, right. I'm I'm gonna get some Adidas Sambas. I'm gonna get some tearaway pants. Like, look out! And um, <laughs> I rem- and so like, at one point, it's like I got I got a little bit of money, and I realized I could supersize my meals. Oh, and next yeah. thing you know, I'm like a ten year old kid getting a number two supersize. Yeah. <laughs> in walking God's in, name, yeah. What was sun, I doing? Walking in sunglasses. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that. yeah, I would. Definitely. They would be yeah. like, "Do you want to supersize that, sir?" And I'd be like, uh, "They called me, sir." Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and it's and it's interesting you brought that up in terms of when you wanted to get those certain things, like you mentioned the sambas around that time. You were getting like side jobs and everything of that nature. Yeah, yeah. So around that time, what were sort of the things you were like into wanting to like purchase at the time? Oh, uh, I mean, I got into clothes through my grandpa, um, mm-hmm. because he. He just cared about his clothes. I wouldn't even say that I was like, oh, I wanted to look like him. I was just like, that's so weird. He really cares about his clothes. And most of these people you realize now it's because they didn't have anything and they grew up with so mm-hmm. little that like that is your sweater. Like that's your sweater. You yeah. don't have any other sweaters. So take yeah, care of your yeah. sweater versus mm-hmm. now we're like, whatever, I got a hundred, you know, who cares? Mm-hmm. But like seeing how much he cared about stuff made me a little bit more interested in it. And then also, you know, in elementary school, basically like you weren't cool unless you had Jordans, which I could never, ever afford ever. 
Um, but I could afford Sambas because I think Sambas, I think they were $60, which is kind of funny when you think of like inflation of, of yeah, over it's, the years. You're like, it's not gone up that much. Right. But, uh, yeah, it was a big hit. They were like, you know, maybe 50 or 60 bucks. Airwalks, I remember, were 50 bucks. And my oh. parents were like, well, we have like 15 to $17 for your shoes. Right. So like, we're going to pay less. Yeah. If you can, if you can find some cool stuff, I remember I, I found Cross Colors shoes there. Mm-hmm. And Never heard of that. That's Cross Colors, sick brand, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Very sick brand. Huh. Yeah. Um, it was so, but like they, it had a little metal tag and it was colors like, like C O U L O U R S or whatever. But it was basically, it was like, I don't know, it was like a cool kid brand. And so I would, I would wear those. And that was like, I was into, Anything that was like Adidas or like soccer e, mm-hmm. um, St. Louis is like still a relatively big sports town for like baseball, hockey, and and soccer. Right. And okay. obviously now there's an MLS team, but um, before that, um, you had like like some of the better select clubs, like mm-hmm. were like Bush Select Soccer and all these stuff. So like soccer culture was pretty big. And my, I had an older brother who was always like two steps, you know, ahead of the game. As they normally are. Yeah. And so yeah. he was like, no, man, you don't want Adidas. You want Lanzara. And I was like, what's Lanzara? I'm like, well, you know, look them up. It's cool. I mean, and everything was just like, they're probably all made in the same place, but the logos right. look different. And so he was like, no, you want Lotto and you want Lanzara and you want Kappa. And you, and, and it was basically most of it was like European brands. That okay. no one really knew about. And, like, eBay doesn't exist. The internet barely exists. Like, if it does, it's your friends that have AOL, and they're lucky to have a second phone line, you know? Yeah. And some kid gets in trouble because he left the internet on all night, and they woke up to a $100 bill of, you know, because oh you're paying by the minute for dialing right. internet. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I sound super old, but, yeah, like, cause I, uh, yeah, we are, we have no idea what that <laughs> you're is. Like, you're like, huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, so there was shit like that. I mean, cause what? I'm, I'm 38. And so it's like, I'm in like, like that millennial generation exactly. where you grew up, yeah. you grew up with a computer, mm-hmm. but you didn't really grow up with like broadband internet. Like, right. like broadband hit mm-hmm. for me when I was 12 or 13. And that was when like, that was like DSL. So you had like two meg down, you know, but it, you, mm. you didn't go by megs. You went by like kilobytes. You were like, yo, this, yo, I got 150 kilobytes of internet. You're like, whatever, man. I got a 28.8 BPS modem. And people are like, shit. <laughs> 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 it was, yeah. yeah, I mean, so it was like just stuff like that. In any like 90s culture, very much where like kids want to look like John Connor or the Terminator or Goonies and you want, but everything, you know, to zoom out, everything was always based around shoes. Like, if you don't have cool shoes, it doesn't matter. Like, you got to have some sort of cool shoe. And, and I would be like, well, my brother told me, like, Lanzara is really cool. And people would be like, Lanzara, you're fucking lame, dude. And I was just like, well, they're cool. My brother thinks they're cool. And they're like, whatever. You know, and so it's like, let's let's go read, you know, The Giver again in school and see how it's going. But, that yeah, that was, that was kind of the childhood. And then I was obsessed with guitars. Guitars, Smashing Pumpkins, um, Soundgarden. I was never, like, a big Nirvana guy. But basically, just Smashing Pumpkins was everything to me. Wanting to be Billy Corgan, wanting to play, you know, Cherub Rock, and just wanting to be a fucking rock star when you're like, you know, 12 years old and a guitar right, is yeah. twice your size. So, yeah. Yeah. I tried guitar lessons and I got like three weeks and I was like, you know what? This isn't, this isn't for me. For real? Yeah. Damn. It's yeah. Not, any, any instrument's a commitment because you gotta, you have to suck. For a right. long time. A long time before you're decent. Yeah. Do you own a yeah. guitar now? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
I hey, play guitar you play for every your day. Sons all the time, right? Yeah, yeah. I play. I play for my yeah, my son and my daughter. I've um, but like I used to be in it. I mean, I moved to New York to play music. That was the thing. Is I was trying to be you know some sort of musician. Yeah, that was, that's that was gonna be my next question actually. So yeah. you mentioned you moved when you were eighteen to New York. Yeah. And so it was for music. Uh what kind of music were you playing? It was like indie rock. Basically at that time the music that people were into was like the shins. So this is two thousand four. Mm. And, you know, it's like Garden State, you know, like pure white people indie rock Portland wannabe stuff. Like that okay. was in my head it was like Spoon and the Shins and um so it was like that form of kind of happy indie rock stuff, like indie pop. And uh, so I moved out there to do that. I mean, it's funny because a lot of people now, they all talk about how like, oh, I was really into hardcore. I was into like Long Island hardcore and I was into like Bad Brains. And I think the more people I meet, they're like, well, no one can check the receipts. Yeah, on the you know, it's like, be I, honest. Bad yeah. Brains is like, it's cool for someone to be like, yeah, listen to Bad Brains, but like mm -hmm. I've tried, I, I can't do it. It's not, it's not for me. But it's I appreciate cool. the honesty. Yeah, it's cool <laughs> to be like, oh yeah, bad brains. Is sick. Yeah, bad yeah. This is my first time hearing about bad brains, so my apologies to the audience. No, get, get it. I mean, yeah. well, this is the thing. I think anything that's hardcore, like music, um, which a lot of people, especially people in fashion, they're like, oh, that was all I cared about. Really, what they're talking about was like, that's like a friend group, you know, mm -hmm. that you like that. But I don't know if you're walking around your house doing laundry, singing you know yeah <laughs> yeah I guess bad brain like it just it doesn't really exist and i think a lot of people now when they're like oh yeah i was into it and it's like i tried to get into all the hardcore stuff and i listened to it and i was like wait am i supposed to like this i'm like yeah. i get the energy and i'm like um and i was like all right i'm gonna go back to like the ramones or something or something that had some sort of like a weezer or whatever that i could listen to that had more melody to it and so i moved out there to do that um we played around you know, like places that did. I guess Mercury Lounge is still around. We played at Mercury a bunch. Uh, um, I've heard of Mercury Lounge. Yeah, Mercury Lounge. Yeah. We did there, and we would do like CMJ and and um, um, CMJ was like College Music Journal, which was basically, mm -hmm. you know, this this is like the internet's there, you know, mm -hmm. but this is like MySpace era in which everyone. It was cool because all of a sudden you could play a show and you would literally see the bump from your show on your MySpace page when you got home. I'd be oh, like, yo, wow. we just played last night and all of a sudden we got like 2,500 plays this morning on, you know, on our MySpace page. We're like, we're right. popping. We're like, yo, like, look out world, you know, yeah. we're pumped. Yeah. And that was the thing that was, it was cool because there was like this perfect era. And also I would say the internet was still kind of nice because not many people knew to go to the underbellies of, you know, Reddit was like, it existed, but people, you know, that based, it was more using a site called Dig, which was run by Kevin Rose, which was very similar to Reddit. But like, it was, um, that was just kind of where people would go to like sound off on stuff. You had Discogs and things, but like the user experience and the interface of these designs were so archaic and so weird looking, your average person wouldn't go and navigate it. So I, I say that where it's just like you had, Stereo Gum, Brooklyn Vegan, um, a few different sort of like blogs, like music blogs that kind of set the tone for music, like any music of that day. It, w it would basically like group all of the, 
MP3s that were being shared at the time. And so you could go there and you could pull all the streaming yeah. MP3s of all of the different music bands. And so in a way, every week wow. you would get, like, this is all the music that people are listening to. Right, like mixtapes, like yeah. early internet wow. mixtapes. That's really yeah. Yeah. That's crazy, wow. Yeah. yeah, so there was stuff like that. And I would say it was just a little bit more friendly because, like, Twitter doesn't really exist to troll. Um, and ever it, it required so much effort to put content out on the right. internet that the amount of time like you just wouldn't spend that time to dunk on someone so everything was like pretty nice i mean the only thing that was like hostile if even was like pitchfork um the website and even then they weren't even you know it would always be like pretty well written if they dunked on an album so that was like my scene it would be doing that and then at night you'd go to uh like the cobra snake was a big deal and last night's party and you'd go to um, misshapes or whatever. You'd see people like Mike Nouveau DJing at like Dark Room and all those folks. And it was just, it was a cool scene. I would say it was really welcoming, um, even though you felt like you didn't belong. I mean, everyone had imposter syndrome. Uh, and I will state for the record, like my band was not big, but like we felt cool because you played yeah. it. Like I'm in New York City. Like Julian Casablanca was just at my show. Like, yo, check me out. Like, you know. And then you start right. to befriend some of these other people that are in the bands that, when you were younger and you're reading like Spin or Rolling Stone at home, they're there. You know. And I remember we were playing a show at this place called Fat Baby. Paul Banks from Interpol and Helena Christensen, who was his girlfriend at the time, rolled up to our show, mm-hmm. and oh, wow. I was like, holy shit! Like this. Yeah. Is the- all right, let's go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and you know, you play your show, and I was like looking for him later. And, you know, it was cool because eventually, thanks to things like MySpace, which was like Instagram DM ahead of the time, you could message people and be like, "Yo, what'd you think? Do you yeah, want, you yeah, know, like you want to yeah. you want to hang out? You want you know?" And people yeah. are like, "Oh yeah, cool show." And you're like, "Oh my god, I, I have been validated." So like that was really most of my life was like music, and then I was kind of broke. <laughs> I worked at Starbucks on Sixth and Waverly. Nice. which was the only job in history I ever quit and, like, walked out of. It was rough. I can understand why. Yeah. Yeah, it was just, I mean, it was, there was, we were put in situations where you were having to deal with, like, you know, the unhoused population and yeah. the aggression late at night. And I remember, um, <laughs> I remember, so, like, at the end, at the end of the day at Starbucks, you take your food and you, you give it away. Like, so all the right. sandwiches that didn't get sold and whatever. This is before Starbucks had, like, ovens and shit in their place. And so... You know, it's like 2004, 2005, whatever, and I'm leaving Starbucks, and I'm like, oh, I'm right next to Washington Square. I'll just bring all these sandwiches. And Washington Square was like, you know, depending on the time of night, it would be kind of weird. So I go to Washington Square Park. I got all my sandwiches. I walk through. This guy comes up to me, and he's like, oh, he's like, is that, you know, are you giving away sandwiches? I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, here, just take the whole bag. Yeah. And he was like, and he opens it up and looks at it, and he's like, sweet. And he rans off with it, and he said, thanks a lot. And then he, like, called me, like, a, a, a word I won't say on here. And I was like, Jesus. And I was like, man, fuck this. And then I was all mad. And you don't realize that a lot of these people are just like mentally unstable. Of course. And so like in my head, I'm just like, this is ridiculous. I don't know what I'm doing. And then sometimes those dudes would come in and they'd be like, hey, I want to come in early. Like, you're not going to take these sandwiches. Like, no one's buying a tuna sandwich at Starbucks. Right. And so they were like, yo, I'm taking this tuna. And you're like, well, you can't, you can't really steal. And they're like, yo, I'm taking it. I'm like, no. And then one guy is like, he like starts cussing at me and he spit on me and he's yelling. And I'm like, keep in mind, I'm like 18, I'm 19 now. And so, like, I don't know how to be a person, like, yeah. other than, like, all I know is, like, you know, I barely know how to, like, shave and, like, change yeah, my no, underwear and all this stuff. And yeah. I was like, I can't handle this. And I just, like, left the store in the yeah, middle of the wow. day. And I was just like, fuck it. I just, like, threw my apron down. I was like, I'm, I'm going, man. I'm just like, I don't care what happened. And I remember getting, you know, a voicemail from my uh, 
page from my yeah oh, my so Kyocera phone that I had at the time. You know, yeah. he was like, Jeremy, did you just leave the store? And he was just like, you have no idea. Like the district manager's gonna be so pissed. And I was like, dude, I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, peace yeah. out, yeah. whatever, Who man. The boxes was at my show last night. <laughs> yeah, I was I like, do you know who I am? <laughs> have you heard of my MySpace page? No, I wasn't like that. I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. You're scary, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I did that. I worked at Apple for a little bit. I mean, I was just like any other clown. You're just kind of like going from job to job and it doesn't really matter because you just have yourself to look out for so in your head i'm like cool i got 13 dollars till friday i can go to these dollar slice places i can do this yeah yeah Yeah, i mean you're just i mean i was just a little clown you know so i i don't think i definitely think you can still do these sorts of things today Uh i feel like it's super hard for people because you're just you're on the you're on the internet at all times and so you're just keeping up with this thing i feel like i never had the stress of like instagram or yeah. dms or this stuff cuz you know you'd wake up and you'd check your myspace pages in the morning and i, I was trying to like slide into girls dms and stuff of like course. right you know nyu women or whatever like i obviously i mean thank god i'm not going to get canceled i wasn't being a total slime ball but i was like could we go out <laughs> on a date and i'm like well i don't have any money let's go to crift dog and they were like, you're a dork. And I'm like, cool. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm not sure. laughs> yeah. So, wow. It's crazy running around New York City in like 04, 05. It's yeah, it's fun. Dude. That's crazy. Yeah. So when did the whole fashion thing kind of come into mm. your life? At what I point mean, was that? Yeah, it was through my grandpa. But then I come out to New York mm-hmm. and I was obsessed with Dior Home. And I remember, you know, again, if you're only looking out for yourself, you don't have any other bills than like your phone bill and your rent. Yeah. So, um, I went to Dior home. I bought a pair of Dior jeans and cause I was like, I'm going to be somebody here. Like, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm, this is the thing is like, as I tell this, like half my brain is being like, shut up, shut up, yeah. you know? And, but it's true. And so I went and I got these jeans. And I was like, oh man, I'm going to be cool. And this was the 19 centimeter Dior um, made in Japan jeans. The big thing is they had to like, a slash on the back right pocket. They also had like a, a silver tab that was like around the belt loop, which was kind of okay. cool. It had like a CD on there. And this was also, so Eddie Slimane is still running the house. And um, the way that like everyone wore their jeans is like, it was pretty tight. And so it would just mm-hmm. kind of stack on your shoe. So you get like a white van slip on. Um, or in this case, like Dior Dome had like a German army trainer knockoff okay. that was really slick. Um, which I couldn't afford, but I went, I bought those jeans and then you just go to like century 21 and you get like, you know, I had like a Mark Jacobs rat t-shirt and I also had hair at that time. And I had like these like big oversized glasses. And I remember I was like, man, New York is the place to be because in St. Louis I had these glasses and people called me like homophobic slurs based on them. Um, yeah, yeah. And I moved to New York and I wear these glasses and people were like, yo, your glasses are really cool. And I was like, yeah. man, I'm home. You know, I was yeah. like, I'm home. <laughs> I was like, this is fine. I can be somebody here. And uh, that was like my vibe. And, and I basically just wore the same thing every day, you know, like six, seven days a week. Or you were in uniform at, you know, Apple or whatever. And you're just like mm-hmm. selling iPods to seal, you know. And so um, it was it was pretty chill. And so I was like very into fashion and then um, still playing music and also realizing that like how you looked was how you were perceived because right. everyone's walking on the street. You know what I mean? Like you don't have a car or any any sort of like thing on yeah. you other than that, your clothes. That to, fit has to go off every single time. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there, I mean, at least for me, like you would get sized up if you were going to misshapes or 
you know, happy ending just on what you had on. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, shit, like, I got Dior jeans. Like, I got to be cool. Like, I mean, again, this is so stupid. Yeah. But, like, this is just how I was thinking. And and so um, it was, I think that was a, a, a very cool and unique thing that, that New York had because you don't really have cars. People aren't really driving, at least the people in my age group, no one's really driving around. We all walk and we all sort of take the train. So what your fit was basically just like, that was your, your net worth. Yeah, and in my case, it, yeah. it was all the money I had was on my legs. So um, that kind of like snowballed further. And it wasn't until maybe 20, 2009, 2010, when blogs started popping. I was like, fuck it, I'm going to start a blog. And at the time, a lot of people were doing Blogspot or um, TypePad, um, all sorts of stuff. And I, I remember I had a live journal because, like, on on MySpace, people would share links from other stuff that they were reading. And there were a few people that were like, now they're probably TV or movie writers, but they had live journals. They were, like, really funny and really witty. And it was cool because, also, you couldn't really do much customization. So it, it, would, it would be like, if, imagine... It's like medium right now, right. right? It's you just sit and read. So you're just reading people's like journals and diaries of stuff that they're doing. And you could upload a picture, but it would always be like really grainy. And mm-hmm. it would be a lot of effort just to get a picture on there. And so you kind of go to different sites to see like last night's party. There was Ultra Girl who was like this music reviewer. And so a lot of it was based around like the music scene. And I was like, fuck it, I'm going to start a blog. I start one and I'm trying to just write about music and I'm not a good writer. And I'm like, this is so stupid. I was like, but there's, I don't really see much talking about menswear or clothes. Because this was also in a weird time. It's like, we're like, right after, like, the first Queer Eye, where it's still weird to, like, the average person that uh, you're a, a male that cares about clothes. So, like, oh, you must be gay. You know, some sort of, and it would just be dumb stuff that now we're like, we would never say that now. Like, yeah. it's so pathetic. It's so, it's so obnoxious and silly. It doesn't make any sense. But it would be... You know, and so also on the internet, everyone's anonymous, right? Mm, right. And so all of a sudden you have this like underbelly (laughs) of people that are also into clothes and they're all talking about clothes and it's kind of fun and no one knows who you are. So you can still sort of, you know, and at the time, yeah, yeah, Style Forum was a message board at the time that was growing up. Super, uh, Super Future was, was probably the biggest of like the more like high fashion stuff. Style Forum was more along the lines of like, Alden Cordovan loafers and uh, a heavy, you know, a heavy tweed jacket, which also was the name of another blog. There was one called Heavy Tweed Jacket. Um, and so I would just go and read those and I started my own. And now I'm at, I'm working actually for this record label. And I would just do this like late at night or on the side or where there was some sort of downtime. You'd write a post about like, hey, there's a new shoe that came out or there's, you know, people are really into LL Bean. And, and like everyone would be the first to try to like create the history lesson of it because the history was there, but it wasn't really as well curated. So you would like be Google searching or going on Flickr, looking for people who did like factory tours. Michael Williams was like the God at the time. And so he was doing factory tours of like Quadi and all these places that no one had really heard of. That's about like American made stuff. And this is kind of where, you know, you have Todd Snyder at J crew at the time, um, APC, like Jean Tui too, hasn't been canceled yet for being a racist scumbag. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, all this, all this sort of stuff that was there, um, where you could just, it, it just felt like things were free and everyone was ignorant, um, in a good way. And yeah. so, uh, I started this blog and it kind of like, it never really popped off, 
the biggest thing is it just helped me find other people who thought like me. And so I like befriended Lawrence Schlossman, yes. John Moy. Yeah, yeah. Then we started a clothing brand from that. Yes. So you've talked to Lawrence about it. And what was that like inception like for, from you? Like, how did yeah. that, how did that go? I mean, it was just us being selfish kids that wanted to find a way to get wholesale. I, there was no vision. The best thing it just taught me about is like how business worked and business worked on relationships. That's like, if there's like a real takeaway, here's your Ted talk, whatever moment is like business decisions still to this day, I think are based around relationships. And it made me realize that the most important thing I ever can offer anyone is like my integrity. And the fact that like, I'm not, I'm going to be a nice guy and I'm going to be someone who's trying to be humble and, and owns when you fuck up and tries to find ways to make your wrongs right. And, you know, with that, because we were like, oh, let's do this company. It'll be fun. And we, you know, we had like a little bit of startup capital. I mean, I think we each had a few grand. I don't really remember all the details, but like we had some money mm -hmm. and we were like, Again, it was just like, oh, if we do this, we can work with these companies and then just get our own stuff for free or at wholesale. And it was also a response because like Sid Mashburn, because of people like Lawrence, is like being painted in like the second coming of Christ, you know. <laughs> um, and we were like, oh, let's just find a way to make this and let's make it a little bit more affordable. And I remember we were meeting with like Ron Ryder, who is making our shoes through Martigani and... Uh, he was like, okay, you should sell this shoe for like five or 600 bucks. Right. And I was, we were like, well, what's the cheapest we can sell? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And he's like, we well, are not really going to make much money if you sell it for like whatever, 350 or 375. And we're like, yeah, but we could make like maybe 25 or 50 bucks per shoe. And then if we can take that money and then buy our own shoes. And I remember he was just like, what? You guys don't really know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. people have margins to pay. A salary because that that's all they have and that's all they're gonna get like a lot of people are like man the margins on this it's so much I can't believe the person it's like yeah because they got to pay for health insurance and they got to pay a salary and they got to pay other people and they're actually trying to pay themselves and other people fairly so it's like margins exist so business can continue you know I mean I'm not saying I'm sure you can find any extreme example of an absurd margin where it's like that's not fair this person's being taken advantage it's like, whatever, no one forces you to buy luxury stuff anyway. Right. You know, you buy it because you want to feel better about yourself because you, yeah. you don't have the uh, self-esteem to exist otherwise. And so it's just like right. we uh, – so like we had like very slim margins, but we had our own like press. But when I say we, it was really like Lawrence was the big press behind it. Like we, a few people read mine stuff, a few people read Moy's. But, like, Lawrence had the biggest people that was reading his stuff. I mean, his traffic was just through the roof because he also was a machine. He posted mm -hmm. more than any other yeah. formal news outlet that existed. And so that starts to happen. All of a sudden, we got a little money. It's like, all right, we got a little scratch going. We have, yeah. oh, and now we're like, well, what do we do with it? Let's spend it. And, like, right. okay, let's go to pity. So yeah. we go to pity in, like, January 2012. And we're, again, we're total bozos, mm. you know. But you got to see how this industry how it worked. Yeah. And the funny thing is, cause like I was also getting, I was really into watches at the time I was writing about watches for Esquire, like a total lunatic. I knew nothing. And the best thing is there were people that I met who would email me and be like, you're a loser. Like you're so wrong on this. I've been in this industry for so long. You're such a, like, I didn't know like hate mail like that existed. I was like, what the yeah. hell? Like I'm like, like 
you know, I just got an erection yesterday. Like, I'm, I'm a kid. Like, what, what right. are you talking about? Like, I'm a total loser. Right. Like, yeah. you really, you know, yeah. and, you know, and I like apologize for the, the, you know, the, this erection joke, but it was like, it was just so stupid. I'm like, I'm so young. And then there were a few people. There were people like Paul Boutros, um, who's now like the head of Phillips, uh, watches. At the time he was, I think he was working for, he was working for Lockheed Martin as a literal rocket and physical rocket scientist. Wow. Um, Paul Lerner, who was at, uh, Audemars Piguet, um, and he worked for tons of other folks. And then people like, uh, Georgie from Brunello Cuccinelli, Georgiana Magnolfi, and, um, they would email and they were like, Hey, do you need help? And I'd be like, oh, yeah, I don't know this, or this is helpful. You know, and I remember Paul was like, hey, if you're going to write about the Royal Oak, like, here's some more facts. Like, right. like well, you know, step in a way, step like, step hey, yeah. yeah, and, and yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't, it was just very gentle. Uh -huh. And you, you recognize, you're like, oh, and to this day, you know, I was in New York the other week and I had breakfast with Paul. Like, mm -hmm. um, and you, you realize that, like, oh, those people were cool and trying nice and kind yeah, and yeah. trying to help. When they easily could have written me off and dunked on me, and you just realize how important the relationships are in the industry, wow. and especially for manufacturing, because it's like there's only maybe like 30 people in the world who do 90% of the manufacturing out of Italy. You know, it's like, like yeah, so there, it's just so much of the stuff is relationships. So you get to see this part of the world where it's really being run by that. And I don't mean it's like some big bad cartel. It's just like be a good person right, right. and don't be a dick because you don't know how more you're going to interact with that person mm -hmm. in the next, you know, few years of your life if you're going to try to like build what you're doing as a career. Right. Um, and that was probably the best lesson that we learned, you know. And then, of course, like, you know, it turned into this lily pad. So like Lawrence goes right. and starts four pins, which was supposed to be like a very sartorial you know, I mean, that's why it was yeah. pins. It was supposed to be all about, like, suits and menswear yeah, and stuff. Yeah, and it was not that. No, it, was it wasn't. so much better than yeah. what it was going right? to be. Right? Who knew? Sure. Yeah. And, so, um, yeah, that's yeah and then I started working for the Armory. I met Mark Cho out there. And Mark was like, oh, you know, I want to do a store in, in New York sometime. You know, and you seem like a good guy. You have – I had the e-com and, like, web and, like, digital experience at Beggars. Uh and and I had like the, you know, experience. Yeah, right. You know, of yeah. like maybe understanding a little bit more of like how the industry worked. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I started working at the Armory, um, yeah. and left Beggars. And I remember it was like it was the best like exit interview I ever had because uh, Martin Mills, who was the he's the chairman and the founder of Beggars Group. And Beggars Group, for folks that don't know, it's basically like this. They, they're an indie group, but like, and some, some people look at them as like a major label now just because of the, the brand roster they've had. But, um, it was, it's Matador Records, XL Recordings, which at the time was like Adele and Radiohead and Matador's like Interpol and Cat Power and Pavement and all these like legendary, you know, 4AD is like the National and, and, um, Beggar's Banquet. And then you had, um, Rough Trade and, and all these little sub labels. And it was a British company owned uh or majority owned by this guy named martin mills who had started it in like the 70s and i remember telling him i was like hey i have this this job opportunity to go work in this thing it's like more in the fashion you know world and, and i'd really like to do it and martin was like mm, okay and i was like you know because we would get these it's now like if you work at a big company you'd call them like a skip level 
where you get to like meet your manager, manager, the owner, whatever. And he would always make time to like get lunch with everyone like once a year. And it would be funny because it'd be like, he'd be like, Hey, Jeremy, do you want to get lunch? And I'd be like, yeah. And it, yeah. and then he'd <laughs> offer you a date like nine months down the road. And you're like, holy shit. Like this yeah, guy's wow. calendar is so busy. Yeah. It's like, okay, yeah, I'll, sure. I'm, I'm not busy nine months from now, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I won't and, be, yeah, I'll be, yeah. yeah. And so we go out to, you know, and I'm telling him about this and like how much I loved it and how much I cared about it and my, and I'm telling him about my blog and all these other things, which in some cases, if you worked at a company, they may take that and be like, excuse me, yeah, you yeah. care that much well, about something else. Exactly. You're fired. And yeah. he was like, that's so cool. I'm so happy for you. He's like, you should do it. And I was like, well, I'm scared. I might fail. I might. And he was like, well, I'll make you a deal. He's like, if you, if you leave and you completely fall on your face and you totally fail, you can come back here and have your own job back. And I was like, really? Wow. And wow. he was like, I, you know, he's like, yeah, he's like, I don't, he's like, I don't think you'll, you'll need to, but if this is the case, I'll give your job back. That's and I was like, that's, 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 that's what yeah. we just want to help. Yeah. 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 And he, he even had the confidence in you to just to tell you like, Hey, I, I know you're not going to be coming back, but just mm -hmm. in case. Yeah. yeah. You are and I was spot. like, yeah. yeah, I was like, shit. Okay. Whatever. Cause also during that time, like I also like tried to be a stylist through like a whole other you know thing and i was like a celebrity stylist for like a tiny window and um and i was taking vacation time to do it and I'm, you know he was he was aware of all of it and so i i leave and i go work at the armory and then i think the new york times like Cara Monica's like critical shopper thing came through and i was like mentioned in it five, and five. uh martin who i didn't send it to uh emails me and says i guess you don't need your old job back Wow. You know, hope things he was are well. Out. That's so and, sweet. Yeah. And I was like, Fuck. yeah. So I mean, t he was still the greatest. You know, I mean, there's so many people at Beggars that I love and admire, and I would do anything for any of them anytime. But um, it was really cool, and it was you know, I was like kind of emotional reading it. And I was like, damn, dude. You know, little did yeah. he know my life would continue its downward spiral. But you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. start at the top. Yeah, yeah. So, but um, it was cool. It was cool. Yeah. Great. So now we want to talk a little bit about Blamo, um, because like I mentioned before, I'm a really, really big uh, fan, and I, you're like kind of podcast royalty because I kind of like <laughs> still a little bit of swag a little bit uh, when it comes to potting. But like, I've noticed that you've had so many different types of like guests on. Like you've had yeah. people like um, Peter Middleton from Wythe, which is one of my favorite brands, and you've also had Nick Weidenfeld, who was you know like behind like cartoon like all some of the best cartoons so it's like i also want to mention that like whenever you are speaking you go into the interview with like a sense of like familiarity yeah. and it's so it's almost like these people have been your friends for years so like <laughs> how do you like navigate that when you're like booking guests and how do you also come off so warm how does that work for you uh well first off thank you but i would say at the end of the day everyone everyone's the same like we all and this sounds really lame but like we all want to be respected we want to be seen, we want to be heard, and um, we don't want to feel like we're stupid. And everyone at the end of the day is always a little bit, doesn't feel that good about who they are. I mean, I've gotten to talk to all sorts of huge people, and I've heard people be like, did I, did I say that right? And I'm like, dude, you do these things. Yeah. You're on TV, or you do, you know, whatever. And, and you realize everyone's just kind of a little bit nervous. And so when you go into that, it, it helps to just one, like I'm in a very rare and luxurious position to where I kind of only get to talk to people that I like. Like I've never had like a formal journalistic sort of job that I was forced to talk with people who I didn't agree with or or didn't respect, which I think is pretty 
unfortunately somewhat common right. and why like journalistic integrity is so important into which you can never make it about you. And what I realized is that the only way I could talk to people was if I could create some sort of like empathetic connection. So if I, if I, you know, if the fact that I'm starting a conversation with someone with the fact that I already immensely respect them and like them, that person already feels safe. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everyone likes to talk about themselves right. because one, it helps them process, but also it does, you know, it feels good to take a victory lap. And it's not, you know, cause I remember when I first started the pod, people were like, man, Kirk one's too nice. Mm -hmm. Or he tells everyone how great they are or whatever. And there was in, in the shred of those criticisms, there was a bit of feedback in which it's like, okay, like maybe don't be so gushy, mm -hmm. but I was like, fuck you. Like I, you wouldn't mean to be mean. I'll be mean to you. Like, first off, like, like it's important to me to let these people know that the work and that they create is valued and, and more importantly that I value it. And that makes that person feel good and safe. And then you never know where you're going to go from that. And at least for me, I try to just like, I used to keep a, if you listen to the early pods, it was literally like I had a notepad out and it was like, I have all these questions. And sometimes I'd be so focused on trying to get to the next question. I wouldn't actually allow for the space it took to get to the answer of whatever we were talking about. And if all of a sudden that person wants to talk about how much they love, whatever, um, a watch or some story about their dad, I don't know. And you're like, oh, this is what they want to talk about. If I can engage with them on that, obviously it's going to make a better conversation than to me trying to like cut them off so I can get to my next question, which in most cases they've probably already answered on a hundred other shows that are a billion times better than I'll ever be. So why can't I be the one that lets that person be themselves maybe a little bit more? Because I don't have the angle that the New York Times or these other bigger people may have, and which is like, sorry, we can only talk about your album. Where it's like, you know what? People are so savvy now. If a person goes on a show, they're going to go and Google that person. They'll find their album or their collection or whatever it is that they're doing. And so, Mike, if we just come on and, and we just talk, and, like, I have, like, maybe four or five bullet points to kind of push us through, it's tough because that can create a good conversation, but it's not predictable. And so if you're a listener, you might be turned off because you don't really know what the show's going to look like. Is it going to be heavy? Is it going to be emotional? Is it going to be really light? Is it going to be silly? Where like shows like Throwing Fits, which I admire a ton, they have a very tight run of show. They can get off the rails, but like at the, every show is the same in the sense that what are you wearing? What do you like? What do you not like? Blah, blah, blah. Critical feedback. That like, you know, the, you know, the show. And so if you're a listener, even if there's a part that comes on and the person gives an answer and it sucks, right? And you're like, really? That's your answer? And, you know that, well, it's fine because I know there's these five other things that are going to happen. And maybe I'll hang on as a listener and get that. And I think it was super important for me to like get feedback from people, like source feedback and find a way to make something that people want to continue listening to and also that I was proud of. And I remember, you know, and it's happened more probably this season because of the writer's strike and the actor's strike and all these other things. Where people are like, why are so many fucking musicians or comedians or all this stuff on here? Like, I want more stylists. People are like, I want Ralph Lauren. And I'm like, well, first off, like, there are people that I've been trying to get on for years. <laughs> yeah, I want Ralph Lauren. Lauren. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who doesn't? You know, like, join the club and I'm trying. But also, like, and I say this, like, fashion in general and clothes in general, we never really are into the clothes as much. We're interested more in the people. And you can tell because when you see other people dress exactly like the picture that they thought of and they look like a moron, 
You're like, oh, it was Robert Redford wearing that outfit that I was really into. It's not you pretending you're him, you know? And and so you realize that, like, what you're interested in most of these times is the people. But also, in a lot of cases, for me specifically, I got more and more into clothes through musicians and artists and and people that that would wear clothes, but they they weren't in the industry. Right. They were just threw it on, yeah. Yeah. Like, no one is like, man, David Bowie, it was because he wore those Yves Saint Laurent pants. Right. No. I don't even know if anyone knows all the pants that he wore or who made everything. You know, I'm sure there's someone out there, right? But, like, it was more of, like, that person was the icon because of all of these other things. Right. So if we can learn more about them, then maybe we can learn more about how they approach those decisions. And also, I think there's sometimes I'm just like, whatever, I think this person's cool. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. just going to talk to them because I think they're a genius or I think they're really interesting. And in in this case, they like clothes and they've done a gajillion other interviews where they don't get to talk about this. And I can be the pressure valve release or whatever for them yeah. where they can come on and they can talk about clothes, you know, because there's been so many times where I would have to explain to their publicist or someone I'm like, well, yes, you know, I get it, but we're going to talk about A, B and C. And they're like, what? Well, yeah. You know, I'm like, trust me, they're interested. Yeah, and in they want to do it, yeah. Yeah, I'd have to go back to the person that I was, like, DMing and be like, yo, your publicist just said, like, I'm not cool. Like, yeah. or more or less, that like, you're too busy. And they'd be like, hold on, you know, and then, then the publicist messaged me and be like, oh, this person has time now, you know, and I'd yeah. be like, jeez. Like, the amount of times I've been stonewalled for, like, not being cool enough or not having whatever, you just kind of have to take it and shrug it off and, and hope. You know, there's like three different people that I was supposed to talk to this year that I've been working on for years. And I've gotten the email and it's like, blank, blank is ready. And I'm like, fuck yeah, we are doing this. I will fly. I don't care. I will go. Let's do it. And they're like, all right, we're going to do it. And there was a couple of cases where I flew. I was like, all right, I'm out in New York. I scheduled everything. I'm here. And the day of, they're like, "Mm, sorry, this person can't do it. And I was like, fuck. I was like, I'm, I flew out, you know, one of my pool. That's at least I try to get a few other things on the books when I'm out there. So it's not a total wash, but like that's happened and it'll probably continue to happen. And so you just kind of have to, but sometimes when people cancel on you enough, they feel really bad and they're going to be like, I will make it happen. And you're like, great. Good. Cause you know, I'm like 5k in the hole trying to get you on the show, buddy. You know, it's it's just like, um, so yeah, you just kind of will your way into it. And, and most people, if they really don't like whatever you're doing, they just won't listen and then you move on. You know, I mean, it's it's too much effort to please two people out of the whatever thousands that right. don't really care and just exactly. like it and are just going to keep listening. So, um, but yeah. Wow. Like, I just want to say, like, to your point, as far as what you were speaking on, as far as when it comes to the guests we've been able to have on, we want them to be able to tell their story, kind of like how we did with yourself today and, like, we definitely see the beauty in that because we want to be able to learn the story of what got you into what you're doing now. And I think even when we've had randomness on, a lot of that time, like it would just come full circle and we get the full reasoning as to, oh, this is why you did this particular collection in here. This is why you did the lookbook here and such and such. So it was just a pleasure being able to learn more of your story and learn why you're doing what you're doing now. And Where can the people follow you? Yeah, just search... Search Blamo podcast. For some reason, there's like a toy company called Blamo. Mm-hmm. Whatever. There is. Yeah. God bless him. <laughs> um, yeah, it's such a dumb name. I really regret it, but you know, that's what it is. So no, it's I'll write it out. Like it. Yeah, yeah, okay. It's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, just search Blamo podcast. You'll see all the stuff out there. Uh, I'm on Instagram at the Kirkland. Um, 
Yeah, that's that's it. And then oh, and you know we do have like other folks. We we jumped on Patreon a few years ago where we started to make like other shows. Um, Triple J show. Yeah, so we do Triple J, which is fun. It's very that show is like no agenda. We we literally text each other a few minutes beforehand. We're like, let's talk about this, this, and this. Like sweet. Yeah, and because we know each other, you know, like half the pod is like inside jokes and just goofy, off the wall, whatever stuff. Uh-huh. And then there's uh, Die Workwear, which is Derek Guy's show, and that's I just produced that, but that's him and Peter Zatolo. and that that show is like kind of heavy. Like they talk about like those guys know what they're doing. They talk about like really heavy stuff, and they'll do you know much more in depth interviews, mm-hmm. and that. You know, I I love a lot, but that's yeah. We have those two that are kind of like paywalled shows. The goal is to maybe find some way to make them uh, ad supported or something. Yeah. But right now, it it just kind of works to keep as is, and mm-hmm. you know, because I'm sure you get like making shows. If, especially, I don't know if that's your guys' studio or what, or if you hey, booked yeah. the studio uh, for this. Yeah, yeah, hey, we booked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, this yeah is our I mean, studio. yeah, <laughs> yeah, man, that that adds up. Overhead yeah. is it's not cheap, you know. Yeah. So. Um, you're like anchor my ass, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, trust me, we're on anchor. Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh no, we're well, on. Good for you. Good for you. But yeah, yeah. So you're like, man, this this shit's hard. So yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's where you can follow me. Thank you, thank you so much, gents. Um, of course, of course, ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Video Ultra Podcast, and we are signing out.